it really worked out just about perfectly this weekend for the arrival of spring. Saturday was just lousy weather. <laughs> it was cold. It was windy. It was rainy. It was everything we hate about late winter for the final day of winter. And then yesterday, it was beautiful. Sunshine, temperatures in the in the 60s. It was beautiful for much of the day yesterday, and it struck me yesterday, uh, late afternoon, early evening, I stepped outside uh, the house, let the dogs out and, and all of that, and I just took a moment to take in the sounds of the first day of spring. Uh, all of the birds, the children laughing and playing off in the distance in the neighborhood, the echoes of the children screaming and laughing and all of that. I was like, mm, I do love spring. Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up, it's another Mental Health Monday. Don't look now, but doom scrolling is back. The phenomenon, which led to bouts of anxiety and depression during the pandemic, is having the same effect with all the news coming out of Ukraine. We have helpful advice on how to process and deal with it all. Also this morning, is there a difference between normal aging and Alzheimer's? A new report finds that even doctors often struggle with that distinction. And spring has sprung. Lifestyle and design expert Kelly Edwards has what you need for a fresh look in and around your home. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, March 21st, 2022. So happy first full day of spring to you today. It is National Teenager Day. It is also World Down Syndrome Day, National Flower Day, the International Day for the Elimination of Racial Discrimination. It is National California Strawberry Day, National Single Parents Day, World Poetry Day, and National Fragrance Day. So reasons... To celebrate uh, on this uh, Monday morning. So among the uh, first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, here's something to think about as you uh, get up and get ready to start another work week. A new Gallup survey finds that less than one quarter of employees, just 24% of employees, say that they believe their employer cares about their well-being. I'm thinking bosses may want to pay attention to this survey here. Um, 24, 24% of workers believe that their employer cares about their well-being. In other words, 76% of workers think their boss just doesn't give a damn. I mean, that's what it's basically saying. Um, at the height of the pandemic, that number was 49%, nearly half of employees believe that their boss cared. But that is much, much lower now. Of course, remember at the height of the pandemic, uh, employers were regularly informing employees about their plans and their policies, about operating amid the health concerns, uh, telling people to stay home, uh, make sure that they were staying well, and so on. So whether or not the level of care and empathy that bosses feel toward their employees, whether that's actually changed or not, is really immaterial. The perception is that there was a greater concern for employees' well-being then than there is now. 
And by the way, that 24%, what the survey finds now, is actually in line with where it was before the pandemic struck. So during the pandemic, there was this increase in employee perception uh, about uh, employer empathy, um, and now that has gone away. Since Gallup started asking the question in 2010, the response has usually been around one quarter of employees employees feeling their employer cared about their well-being. So that really hasn't changed. It's spiked up during the pandemic. Extraordinary circumstances. But uh, it has now gotten back to where we were pre-pandemic. Um, Jim Harder, who is Gallup's chief scientist for workplace management practice, says workers' expectations about flexibility and treatment changed during the pandemic with workers expecting more and basically getting more from their bosses, and that has now gone away. I just thought that was kind of interesting, something that uh, employers may want to uh, think about. Uh, this morning, with the, with the troops heading back to work uh, today, This speaking of uh, the pandemic and uh, the way things changed, you remember uh, during the pandemic we took up uh, new hobbies and, uh, you know, new activities because we were locked down. We couldn't do many of the things we were used to doing in order to spend our time, free time. And we had a lot of free time. So a lot of people picked up new hobbies, new interests. Birding became really, really popular during the pandemic. And apparently, um, a, uh, it says here, I'll just, I'll just read the story. It says, birding might not be an activity you would associate with younger people, but apparently you should. A series of events have brought the wholesome hobby to the forefront. A 2011 lighthearted movie called The Big Year showed the efforts of three competitive birders in their effort to find the most birds in a single year. In the mid-2010s, birding took off in America's hippest neighborhoods in Brooklyn, Portland, and Austin. And now, over the last year and a half, younger millennials and members of Gen Z have taken an interest as well. There are over 340 million views on the TikTok page, Birding TikTok. Mark Parnell, the author of the Birding Pros Field Guides, says he has a few theories. He says, in line with the rise in outdoor activities like hiking, cycling, and backpacking, birding has become popular the pandemic accelerated the trend as restrictions on gatherings forced individuals outside and into more self-driven hobbies and the very nature of birds is that they're everywhere so people started experiencing exciting interactions with bird life at a level that wasn't present in the recent past exciting interactions with bird life (laughs) it does sound exciting doesn't it but birding apparently is uh, becoming very popular and has remained so even as the pandemic has waned. So uh, folks who picked up birding uh, hobbies are sticking with it, which leads me to this item, which I thought was interesting. A new scientific study from the University of Essex, University of Essex, Great Britain. Researchers looked at more than 500 people across five experiments, and they have come up with a list of traits that would make one the most boring person in the world. (laughs) These are the traits that would make you the most boring person in the world. Uh, They found the five blandest, well, they, they, 
like I said, five different experiments, five different um, factors that play into this. The blandest jobs, those would be data analysis, accounting, cleaning, and banking. Those are the blandest jobs. They found the dullest hobbies were bird watching, along with watching TV, smoking, which they considered, I guess, a hobby, and religion, they actually considered a hobby as well. So those were the most, the, the dullest hobbies. And uh, boring people were also perceived as shunning large settlements to live in small cities and towns. So uh, accountants um, uh, who work in banks and live in small towns and uh, smoke and are very religious. That would probably make you one of the most boring people uh, in the world, at least according to uh, research at the University of Essex. The leader of the study, Dr. Wynand Van Tilburg, which, by the way, just sounds like a boring name. I wonder if they they maybe should have taken that into consideration. Maybe that's why he launched this study is because there's that perception that he had a very boring name. He wanted to find out what makes people boring. He says, uh, boring people generally uh, boring people are generally disliked and avoided doing to, uh, due to preconceptions. And those uh, being perceived as boring likely convey, convey low competence and low interpersonal warmth. So being perceived as a boring person is not good. Anyway, he says the uh, truth of the matter is that people like bankers and accountants are highly capable and have have power in society. Perhaps we should try not to upset them and stereotype them as being boring. But again, I think uh, anyone with a name like Dr. Wynan Van Tilburg uh, probably knows what he's talking about when it comes to being boring and the perceptions against boring people. Just thought that was kind of interesting. How boring are you based on those uh, qualities? I don't know. Uh, let's see here. Next item. Among the first things you need to know this morning, uh, Easter is right around the corner now. And that, of course, means candy. Uh, Easter and Halloween are the big candy holidays. What is your favorite candy? U.S. consumers spent more on sweets in 2021 uh, than ever before. The National Confectioners Association says Americans spent a record $36.9 billion on gum and chocolate and all those other kinds of sweets last year. That's an increase of 11% from 2020 and 15% more than 2019. And if you thought this was a pandemic spike, think again. Sales keep on rising. It is the belief that people may just be reaching for comfort food during difficult times. Uh, the last time we saw such a noticeable spike in sales was during the recession, uh, the Great Recession of 2008-2009. So, kind of interesting to Record amounts of money being spent on sweets. Probably not a big surprise. And uh, <laughs> juxtaposed against that story, how about this? I don't know. Make of this what you will. Ceres Therapeutics, a biotech company in Arizona, wants to pay you for your poop. They have opened, I kid you not, they have opened a donor collection facility to collect 
Human Waste for Cash. Now, this is the company behind Good Nature, which has set up stop, shop in Tempe, is asking for donations of uh, human, you know, uh, waste. They're asking for donations of number two, and you could earn at least $25 and up to $75 per sample. I don't know how they determine <laughs> how much your, your droppings are worth. But it says $25 to $75 per sample. Is it quantity? Is it quality? I don't know. Uh, Good Nature is specifically looking for healthy adults ages 18 to 50. Uh, notes the donors can earn up to $1,500 a month in compensation. I guess if you have good healthy bowels. In addition to meeting the health criteria, donors have to be able to donate three to four times a week at the collection site. The uh, poop is being collected to help lead to future developments in gastrointestinal infections and disorders. Uh, future developments in the treatment, I guess, of gastrointestinal infections and disorders. So, if you're looking for a new job, <laughs> making a little money on the side, there you go. <clears throat> Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, partly to mostly sunny skies today and a high of 68. Increasing clouds tonight, low of 45. The city of Finley will be testing its outdoor warning sirens this week as part of the statewide tornado drill. The test will happen on Wednesday morning at 9.50. Businesses, schools, and households also are encouraged to practice their tornado drills and emergency plans at that time. This week is Severe Weather Awareness Week in Ohio. The Ohio Emergency Management Agency is encouraging Ohioans to prepare for weather emergencies and to know the difference between storm watches and warnings. Get more on the website. Authorities are investigating after a missing man was found dead in Tiffin. There is now an investigation after the body of a missing man was found on the banks of the Sandusky River in Tiffin. Police say 35-year-old Joseph Collingsworth of Milan was last seen on March 12th after leaving his girlfriend's home in Tiffin. Anybody with information is asked to call the Tiffin Police Department. WTOL 11's Jeff Smith reporting. Former state health director Dr. Amy Acton, who led Ohio through the early days of the pandemic, is reflecting on that time. She admits she'd like to get back to her normal life. In the meantime, she's been honored by USA Today as a woman of the year. It was the honor of a lifetime to hold that space for Ohioans. I'm a very ordinary person who found themselves in an extraordinary moment in time. Dr. Acting describes COVID as a grave security risk to our nation and says Ohioans and others were makers or co-creators of how to deal with this kind of disruption. Onan's Tracy Townsend reporting. The Ohio Department of Transportation says it's disappointing that their workers have to put in so much time and effort into an issue that's 100% preventable, litter. It makes me feel sad. There is so much litter out here. It's uncontrollable. Marjorie Velasquez, the highway technician for ODOT. I'd rather be out working on other projects than picking up other people's litter. From all of us at ODOT, please keep your litter picked up. ODOT says on average, its crews collect more than 400,000 bags of people's trash from along Ohio roadways each year. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, this morning in our Mental Health Monday series, the return of doom scrolling, the anxiety-inducing phenomenon from the height of the pandemic 
is now having much the same effect with all of the news coming out of Ukraine. Jenny Williams is with us this morning from the Family Resource Center, and it is that constant bombardment of one depressing story after another in our news feed and on social media, and the catchy nickname notwithstanding, Jenny, this is a real thing. This can, in fact, have an impact on our psyche. It most definitely can, and I, I think you're absolutely correct that the the title of the doomsday scrolling <laughs> yeah. um, sounds pretty o- ominous, right? Um, but as you said, it's really that phenomenon of continuously reading uh, that troubling or disturbing or even what we may describe as um, dark information. And for some folks, that's accompanied with an actual inability to stop it. Well, that's really the easiest question, isn't it? I mean, you know, why don't you just turn it off? Nobody's holding you hostage and <laughs> right. forcing you to read all of this. Just turn it off. Walk away. Absolutely. And, you know, when individuals continue to engage in seeking out that information, uh, for some, it can even come at the point of sacrificing sleeping or eating or, you know, a significant reduction in our uh, social connections. You know, we kind of end up being on our screen rather than interacting with people around us. And so it can definitely have that uh, impact on just our daily living. So not unlike an addiction where we get so absorbed in all of this. So how do you find the proper balance? Because you don't want to completely bury your head in the sand. You want to know what's going on in the world, but at the same time, being able to balance all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a little bit of a double-edged sword for many of us because for some people it can uh, you know, turn into what we would describe as a, a behavioral addiction, and it really just can become all-consuming. And, you know, finding that balance between how much exposure to this information is any one individual person comfortable with, and then trying to set some of those boundaries or parameters to kind of limit the flow of that information so that it's comfortable for you and is not, you know, causing a negative impact. Yeah, we, we use the word balance. The other word is perspective, keeping it in perspective, which is kind of the flip side of the same coin. Absolutely. And, you know, I think now, too, especially with social media, um, you know, we we know that those algorithms um, can can continually provide us certain types of information. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was joking with some folks actually yesterday and was talking about the fact that you can suddenly have your news feed um, be consumed with a particular topic. And we have to kind of figure out, is this causing me to have negative effects? Is it provoking my anxiety? Is it consuming my thoughts? Mm -hmm. Do I need to limit my time on these particular sites or turn off my notifications or, um, you know, just put my phone down after a particular time in the evening so that 
you know, my perspective is a little bit more balanced and my exposure is a little more balanced. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed during the pandemic was that different people have different triggers. The constant barrage of news never really bothered me. And maybe that's because of my profession. I could compartmentalize that. For me, it was not being able to go in and sit down at a restaurant that really drove me uh, up the wall. For my wife, though, it was just the opposite. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I um, actually kind of experienced this myself this past weekend. My husband and I were driving to go see our kids in Cincinnati, and he was listening to some podcasts and, and some news programs. Mm-hmm. And by the time you know we got there, I was like, okay, that was a bit of a downer. You know, <laughs> let's not do that on the way home. Yeah. <laughs> so I do think everybody kind of has their own threshold. And I think that that's maybe another way we find balance within our family units is, you know, to be sensitive to one another. Um, you know, what are we having on, you know, the TV, the, the radio, being sensitive that that can perhaps cause more concern, more anxiety, more frustration or struggle from some individuals in our family than it does others. You know, and then there's uh, telling yourself that your problems uh, are not real problems. Your struggles with this are not real problems. Again, during the pandemic, uh, there were people actually dying uh, or have loved ones who were actually dying. And here I am complaining about having to eat my chicken nuggets in the car. Uh, We do tend to minimize the issues that we're having, and that's not healthy either. Right. In essence what we're experiencing in the world today, um, not unlike the pandemic, is really a type of loss. It's a change in a familiar pattern of behavior that we've all become accustomed to. And that familiar pattern of behavior has been changed once again. It's also kind of the fear of the unknown, right? I mean, for the pandemic, it was, you know, is this going to get worse? Is it going to impact me? And here for Ukraine is what comes next? Is this going to escalate? Is this going to turn into another world war? Is it going to turn nuclear? I mean, all of these things, it's that fear of the unknown. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, that fear of the unknown for many people can also become a very consuming and very disturbing set of questions and fears and anxieties and and worry that can be keeping us up at night or mm-hmm. preoccupying our thoughts. And that being said, again, we use the pandemic as an example, but this conflict in Ukraine is something else entirely. It's a different concern on a, on a different level. The doom scrolling is the same, but our reaction to it may be quite different. And that, too, is, is not only okay, it's probably to be expected, I would imagine. Certainly, and I think during the pandemic, we all were able to kind of find maybe some things we could individually do. Mm -hmm. You know, we could maybe check on our neighbors and make sure that they had groceries or we could send somebody a text if we weren't able to, you know, connect with them and say, how are you doing? I'm thinking about you. Um, You know, when this is happening across the world, it becomes a little bit harder for us to make sense of what's going on, to process what's going on, and to figure out what do we do individually during this really 
challenging time within our world. And then to bring this back full circle, uh, again, as it relates to our Mental Health Monday series, uh, we point out that just as there are were any number of resources and still are for folks uh, dealing with the pandemic, uh, those same resources are available for those who are struggling uh, with this and that fear of the unknown and the anxiety and depression that goes along with this constant barrage of negative news coming out of uh, Ukraine. Just like any other challenges we face in our day-to-day life, um, if it's causing you uh, significant distress where it's impacting your ability to function day-to-day and impacting your quality of life, you know, reach out, ask for help, talk to someone. Again, Jenny Williams with us this morning from the Family Resource Center talking about uh, keeping uh, all of this uh, anxiety-inducing news uh, out of uh, Ukraine into perspective and helping us process and deal with that. Uh, Jenny, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. have heard, if you pay attention to uh, health news at all, that there are rising numbers of dementia and Alzheimer's uh, in this country as our population ages. One third of people with mild cognitive impairment due to Alzheimer's develop dementia within five years. And a new report from the Alzheimer's Association finds Americans and their doctors face challenges in distinguishing between, uh, I guess, what we would call normal aging and early Alzheimer's disease. Uh, Morgan Davin is vice president of uh, Health Systems for the Alzheimer's Association. Is there a difference? I mean, is there such a thing as normal aging and uh, memory uh, impairment, or is this all an area of concern? Well, Chris, thanks for the chance to talk about this important issue. And, you know, we all experience some cognitive decline as we age, but with mild cognitive impairment or MCI, this involves changes in memory and thinking that really go beyond the normal aging process. About one in seven uh, Americans age 60 and older uh, do have MCI, and it's important to know about because in some cases MCI can progress to dementia. And, and, and no, not, not everyone who has MCI will get dementia, but as you said, you know, about a third of people uh, with it will uh, see it progress to dementia within five years, and studies suggest that every year about 10 to 15 percent of those who have MCI do develop dementia. So we're really urging people who have concerns about their memory or thinking to talk with their doctor. So is this one more thing that we just don't understand about dementia in general? Why some people who will develop this MCI, as you uh, as you say, some will develop Alzheimer's and some won't? Is that a great unknown, or is there is the connection between the two understood? Well, the good news is we're, we're learning a lot about this, and so we know that there are a number of causes for MCI, and it's important to talk to your doctor and determine what may be causing it because. Some of those causes can be treatable. So that could include, for example, a depression or the side effects of some types of medications or even sleep apnea. We also know about a particular type of MCI called MCI due to Alzheimer's. Now, Chris, this is a type of MCI that is really characterized by the 
changes in the brain itself that are associated with Alzheimer's disease. And that's why getting an accurate diagnosis and getting it early is important. If it is Alzheimer's uh, due to, uh, if it is MCI due to Alzheimer's, uh, families need time uh, to make plans, financial plans, legal plans, and, and health care decisions. Now, we referenced uh, this uh, new report, this uh, facts and figures report from the Alzheimer's Association. This is the very latest data on all of this. What were some of the most noteworthy results, maybe the, the ones that stood out to you the most? So, for example, most Americans would want to know if they have Alzheimer's disease at an early stage, even at that MCI stage. And primary care doctors agree that it's important to diagnose MCI. But we also found that primary care doctors, only about half of them are referring their patient to a specialist when MCI is detected. So we really need to make sure that primary care doctors have the tools that they need to diagnose MCI and also to make those referrals to specialists for additional tests, and for clinical trials. Well, again, in, in referencing the uh, lead-in, we, we mentioned that uh, this report shows that Americans and doctors face challenges in distinguishing uh, between MCI and Alzheimer's. Why is that? Yes, so for uh, the uh, people in the U.S. that we surveyed, you know, even when we described some of the symptoms that could be MCI, they really uh, said those sounded like normal aging to them. And for physicians, especially primary care physicians, they identified a number of barriers, and those include a shortage of specialists to refer their patients to, and in some cases, even their reluctance themselves as a doctor to diagnose a disease that has limited treatment options. But it's important to know that is starting to change. The first medication that targets the early stages of Alzheimer's disease has been approved, and there are many others that are in development. So getting that early and accurate diagnosis is key. It helps identify who may be eligible for these treatments and for clinical trials. Now, as you are well aware, for those who are aging, uh, this is one of the, the most frightful possibilities uh, of aging. And for loved ones, with an aging relative, this is uh, an extremely frightening diagnosis. So we don't want to necessarily send people off the deep end here. What is the appropriate level of concern when uh, a parent or a loved one starts to display some of that mild cognitive impairment that we were talking about? Right. I mean, it is good to keep in mind that there could be a number of different things going on, and some of those, again, could be treatable. So the, the important thing is talk with your doctor and get help from them to, to really determine what's going on and what may be causing it. And then you can know what comes next in terms of is this something uh, that is associated with Alzheimer's disease like MCI due to Alzheimer's or is it something that, that maybe can be can really be treated uh, you know such as uh, sleep apnea is another example of something that, that can be treated. So that's really the, the key is if you have really any level of concern about uh, memory issues or changes in, in thinking, next step is bring that up with your doctor. 
Again, uh, Morgan Davin with us, uh, Vice President of Health Systems for the Alzheimer's Association, talking about having an appropriate level of concern, uh, not over or under concern about uh, what we would call normal aging versus early Alzheimer's disease. Where do we get more information? Again, whenever we talk health uh, concerns, we say your doctor is going to be the best source of information for your particular situation. But in general terms, uh, you have a lot more resources on your website for example, right? That's right, Chris. And we really encourage people to go to our website, go to alv.org to learn more. Or if you do have concerns, you can call the Alzheimer's Association's 24-7 helpline. That's available to you 365 days a year. Morgan, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Chris. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Here's a little bit of advice for you. If you must rob a public place, if you have to commit a robbery, uh, or if you're just thinking about it, you might want to do a quick sweep of the patrons in said establishment before you try anything. UFC fighter Kevin Holland was dining at a Houston restaurant when a gun-toting man decided to fire off a warning shot. Uh, (laughs) UFC fighter. Uh, Mr. Holland was dining with a friend when the gun went off, impelling many of the terrified patrons to flee the establishment. But instead of joining the fleeing customers, the... uh, 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 the pair, Mr. Holland and his friend, came to the rescue of another man who was struggling to disarm the suspect. Holland says the unidentified patron was battling the robber. The gun was pointed toward him and the rest of the cowering diners. So he and his friend figured out who was the good Samaritan and who was not, and it was soon lights out for the bad guy. (laughs) Good for him! Uh, Kevin Holland, UFC fighter, he's 29 years old. He said he used a rear naked choke to disarm the gunman by pulling the man into his lap and wrapping himself around him like a snake. Here's what they do in UFC all the time. <laughs> Came in handy. <laughs> as he, uh, as soon as, uh, as he basically uh, subdued the gunman into unconsciousness, uh, I let go of the choke, slid out on top, got uh, got full mount, stretched the arms out so he couldn't reach for anything. He said he does not contone vigilantism, but the situation called for his intervention because that was, all things considered, the safer route to go. He said, I wouldn't tell the next person to do it unless they are seriously trained for that type of situation. Uh, in a statement to ESPN, uh, he said, it's probably not a good idea for the average Joe to do this, but... Now, I'm a trained UFC fighter. Uh, besides doing cage fighting, I train self-defense first and foremost. For me, uh, that was the best way to defend myself and other patrons at the moment. Plus, he said, I like Batman. <laughs> that is all kinds of awesome. Uh, that robber got more than he was bargaining for. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, you watch uh, those uh, funny and sweet animal videos online. We all do that. Um, I've gone down the rabbit hole on more than one occasion watching those cute animal videos uh, online. Usually, however, the funny animal videos are dogs and cats. 
there's the occasional squirrel or raccoon or something like that. It's not usually an alligator that is the subject of a cute video, but a Florida woman captured a video of a playful alligator chasing a remote-controlled toy boat across the surface of a local pond. <laughs> uh, footage uh, shows the uh, gator's attention being grabbed by uh, one of this woman's neighbor's remote-controlled boat in a retention pond in Jacksonville. The video shows the gator chasing the boat as it zooms across the surface of the water. <laughs> it was unclear whether the alligator had simply confused the boat for a potential food source or whether it was just annoyed that somebody was invading its space. But researchers at the University of Tennessee at Knoxville said in a 2015 study that playful behavior has been identified in alligators and other members of the crocodile family. So apparently they do like to play. <laughs> Unfortunately, I I don't know that I'd want to uh, test that out, but <laughs> the alligator chasing the toy boat around the pond. That's funny. Um, this was, uh, you know, the other uh, animal that's often subject to funny videos online, bears. You see bears, and bears are playful animals when they are not attacking humans. Um, this is a little bit too close for comfort. On both of those counts, Bill Duvall lives in Sierra Madre, California, and uh, he was in the car. He was in his car with his dog, minding his own business, eating a corned beef sandwich when a trio of hungry bear cubs approached his vehicle and one of them opened the door to his car to get to his sandwich. A bear cub opened the door to his car. You would think you're in your car. You've you're pretty much safe. But no, these bear cubs knew how to open the door. Uh, Mr. Duvall captured the uh, cubs approach on video thinking it was just going to be a cute interaction. But then it turns up and, you know, bear cubs are generally relatively harmless. You know, just cubs. But. Wherever there are cubs, you know mama bear is pretty close by. Uh, fortunately, Mr. Duval was able to quickly close the door. And then the bear cub opened it a second time. He closed the door a second time. And uh, the bears uh, kind of lumbered off. But uh, Bill's wife says that bears are frequent visitors to the neighborhood. So what are you doing eating a sandwich in your car? If you know you've got bears around. It's probably not a good idea. And finally, in the broken news this morning, another animal story, but this one is weird. A, a, an animal shelter in North Carolina says uh, that uh, a, uh, somebody recently adopted one of the dogs out of their shelter, surrendered it the other day because its owners thought he might be gay, thought the dog was gay. A post on the Stanley County Animal Shelter Facebook page, North Carolina, says the owners dumped Fezco, that's the name of the dog, Fezco, dumped Fezco after he tried to mount another male dog. Uh, the shelter says Fezco is between four and five years old and very kind to uh, other animals and to people. Applications to adopt Fezco are already flooding in. I mean, don't you know that that's what that's what dogs do? That's a, a sign of 
it's a territorial thing. It's not always a uh, a sexual thing. It is a territorial uh, ritual. You know, saying I'm in charge. This is my uh, my area, and I'm the top dog, as it were. Somebody actually surrendered the dog, thinking it was gay. That's just wrong on so many levels. There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. Some people, I swear. Uh, This uh, update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Road work, detours, traffic backups, and delays, it can get a little frustrating and confusing, but we can help keep you ahead of the game. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Just check out the Traffic Center at WFIN.com and you'll know where the trouble spots are in Findlay and Hancock County. Download Waze, use it whenever you're driving, and join our drive team to help inform others of traffic issues. The WFIN Traffic Center, powered by Waze, and available at WFIN.com. And now our daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives, kind of to counterbalance the doom-scrolling story that we had uh, earlier, the annual World Happiness Report is now out. Uh, This is an annual ranking which compiles survey data from more than 150 countries around the world on uh, various metrics that lead to human happiness. And for the fifth year in a row, the happiest place on Earth is Finland. Finland, number one. Uh, Their Nordic neighbor, Denmark, is in second place this year, the World Happiness Report. Iceland is ranked third. So, I don't know what it's saying. Are they saying that you're not happy unless you're cold? I don't don't know. Um, Austria, Australia, and Ireland uh, are also right up there. So those are the top six. Finland, Denmark, Iceland, Austria, Australia, and Ireland. For the record, the U.S. Uh, is now into the top 20. For a while, we were even outside the top 20, but we are in at number 16 as to the happiest places on Earth, happiest countries, the World Happiness Report. The least happy nation on Earth, according to the poll, likely is... Not a surprise, Afghanistan at number 146 overall. Afghanistan is the least happy place on earth. I would imagine Ukraine is probably up there. But see, again, this was done. These uh, were compiled before uh, all of this mess happened in that part of the world. But uh, in any event, you can see uh, Afghanistan uh not a surprise it is down there, too. Uh, some of the reports, other findings since the pandemic began, people have been kinder to each other. And I think this is uh, we can take heart in this. Uh, United States may be 16th overall, but like every other country on Earth, uh, people have been kinder to each other since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, in the Gallup World Poll, they said we found during 2021 remarkable worldwide growth in all three acts of kindness that they monitor. This is the Gallup World Poll. The uh, authors of the, of the report noted helping strangers, volunteering, and charitable donations in 2021 were all strongly higher in every part of the world. Helping strangers, volunteering, and donations. Uh, as a matter of fact, Gallup says that those uh, acts of kindness 
reached levels almost 25% higher than their pre-pandemic prevalence. So now all we got to do is keep that going now that the pandemic is waning. And, you know, that is good news for everybody. What does they say? A, a rising tide lifts all boats. I think we could apply it to this for sure. Well, spring is here, and that means it is time for those seasonal updates and uh, quick household makeovers. Lifestyle and design expert Kelly Edwards is here with what you need for the new season. Kelly, since we are finally able to get outdoors again, let's start there with what you have for fixing up the outside of, uh, of our house. Well, you're absolutely right, and we are basically able to go outside and do all those exterior refreshes, maybe enhance that curb appeal just a little bit. Easy way to do that, and one of my favorite ways to do that is with new siding, right? So you can, one of my favorite companies is James Hardy. They have their fiber cement siding, which I love. Uh, With them, endless design possibilities. I love that they have trusted protection and lasting beauty, which I think is awesome. They also have their new architectural collection, which is a modern look. They have sleek panels that are in nature-inspired textures. Super cool. Some even look like wood, which I think is really neat. Um, You can even mix a variety of the different siding products for a range of different styles. They have a color plus technology, which means they offer 700 colors, if you can believe it. So they spare no expense in the color department, which is awesome. They have Their products are basically low-maintenance. They're durable and, of course, a color that lasts. So it doesn't matter what kind of house you have. Maybe you have a you know classic colonial house. Maybe you have a handsome craftsman, whatever it may be. There's so many diverse options. Some even have a 30-year warranty, which is awesome. So you could basically create that gorgeous home exterior, uh, and it, that basically matches its perfect, unique style. So you don't have to worry about that. Uh, JamesHardy.com is where you can go, but that is a great way to get outside and spruce up that exterior in the spring. Absolutely. It's uh, probably one of those uh, th- improvement projects that you wouldn't really think about. Maybe not on your radar, but go outside, uh, just look at your house from the curb and just think of uh, how much better it would look uh, with that kind of a makeover. What about uh, deals on options for affordable design this spring? It says here next. Well, I am a deals and steals girl. I will always do every segment, have to throw in. A little deal and steal, and one of the places that you can go, obviously, to get the best products at the best price is go to Slick Deals. Now, before you buy anything for your home, you certainly want to go here. Uh, It's a site, an app, a browser extension. They also have a loyalty program that has about 12 million unique users. What everybody does there is they vote and they vet uh, the very best deals from top retailers like Amazon as well as Walmart. Basically, it's like having 12 million friends. Everybody basically shares and understands really what the best deals are on the site. You can also set a a deal alert to be notified when a deal that matches your criteria actually gets posted to the site. So let's say you want something very specific, like a dining rug, and you let it know, it will actually notify you when something pops up. You can go to slickdeals.net. Great place to save money. Absolutely. And uh, one of the other things, we've talked about this uh, in the past, I think, uh, the easiest ways to give your home a fresh look is just by changing up the color. Uh, So talk about color and what you can suggest to brighten up our homes as we get back to the uh, season of blue skies and sunshine. 
Well, I've actually combined two of my favorite things. You're obviously right. Color is a great way to change up the look and feel of your home. But I also love to travel. And, you know, travel sometimes isn't in the cards for everybody. However, what Discover Puerto Rico and Ecos Paints did is that they bottled up the iconic Puerto Rico sun to create their limited edition non-toxic VO-free wall paint. Uh, They did it in collaboration with the Pantone Color Institute. It is a red-orange color that's absolutely gorgeous. It'll bring a pop of color into your home, maybe invoke a little sense of adventure, a little spontaneity, similar to booking a trip to Puerto Rico. Now, clearly, if you can't go to Puerto Rico itself, you can create your own oasis by maybe you paint your accent wall a little Puerto Rico sunshine or maybe your cabinets and doors, kind of give them a tropical refresh. All these things are super easy. I always say they're as easy as booking a trip to Puerto Rico. But if you would like to go there, I highly recommend it. U.S. citizens don't even need a passport to get there. It's a beautiful place. So if any of your listeners want to maybe book a trip there, find out more information, or even find out a little bit about this gorgeous paint color that I have on hand with me today, you can go to discoverpuertorico.com. I'm thinking that we could uh, do that and uh, and do it as a, um, uh, a research uh, mission, you know, to how to incorporate that into our homes uh, the best way possible. I mean, there's a practical side to uh, to that, I would think. Right. And I actually, truthfully, there is, there is science behind this because I actually talked to Discover Puerto Rico themselves and they actually told me that they did a scientific experiment where they it was almost like they measured the the light of this i mean they had a whole thing that came up with this color so i tell you what <laughs> if you can't go to puerto rico you might as well feel like you're there anyway yeah. you might as well paint the color on your wall there's so some, you kind of the, transported yourself there's some science behind that we're not kidding around i i do like what you say though that may be uh something that uh, would be a little overwhelming if you did an entire room on that but uh, an accent wall or something like that would probably be perfect Super fun or a cabinet or, you know, if you want to take it slow, you can put a cabinet or a door or just something interesting. Give yourself a little bit of pop of color. Listen, we're coming right out of a pandemic. We need a little spice in our life. Absolutely. Uh, Again, lifestyle and design expert Kelly Edwards with us with what you need for the new season of spring. And you've got a lot more uh, tips and such at uh, your website too, right? I do, yeah. So I post a lot of things on my Instagram page, Kelly Edwards Inc. You can go there. I'll be posting all about all these products I talked about today, of course. And I'm always giving deals and skills on there. We will link it up on our webpage. Kelly, thanks very much for the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, once again, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, all the attention has been on the cost of oil, but Russia's invasion of Ukraine has sent wheat and other commodity prices on a wild roller coaster ride as well, which may have an even greater impact on consumers' wallets. We'll break it all down and explain what is happening and why. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.